I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, so last week we started talking about understanding relationships and attachment and how that influences relationships now and how our brain seeks patterns. So I want to continue this conversation, really getting into relationships and this concept of mindsight or mentalizing. So the development of mindsight, which again, that's our natural ability to understand emotional messages. It relies heavily on having that safe attachment in childhood relationships. In fact, feeling secure in relationships and developing mentalizing ability, those are intertwined. Each of those things supports the development of others. So in order for you to have this uh, ability to understand emotional messages, a child, you as a child would have had to have a secure attachment relationship where the caregivers knew how to mentalize the child. And being raised in a mentalizing family culture would have provided the type of, of environment in which a person would develop a, a secure attachment. So on a day-to-day basis, a child just really needs the safe base of secure attachment to explore minds. They have to feel safe to explore their mind and the minds of their parents. And having someone show interest in your mind and understand your emotional reactions is the mechanism that develops security in relationships. So again, having someone show interest in your mind and your emotional reactions a mentalizing interest, meaning they really want to know where you're coming from, what you're feeling and why. It is the mechanism that develops security in relationships. Attachment relationships, as you guys well know, are very important for a person to become aware of their own emotional states. They're also important so that we can feel able and capable to put words to these states, to find out reasons for them, and to use emotions to guide the way they relate to others. There can be negative consequences for a person's abilities to have mindsight if the relationship to their caregiver feels unsure and if they can't use them to understand feelings and relationships between people. This is sometimes what's behind the feeling of being very much, of feeling very much alone or empty, right? So you feel like even when you're in a group of people, you feel alone. Well, if that relationship in early, in early childhood felt for you that no one can understand the feelings of relationships, and that would really be a contributing factor. So sometimes learning that mentalizing is affected by early relationships, it's, it's misunderstood to mean that we can blame someone. And I said this last week, we can't blame people because there are so many factors that go into it. And remember, like I said, it's not perfect parenting that produces a perfect child. It's good enough parenting. And there's also genetic factors, biochemical factors, right, that come into play. Another thing that I really want to drive home, and this really is the basis of this podcast, is that you are not doomed forever because your early relationships didn't have the sort of security that fostered this, uh, this um, development of mindset. You are not doomed. You absolutely can recover. It's hard work, but you can. So the information points not really to the past, but it gives hope for the future if you allow it to. 
The development of mindset is not something that stops at the end of childhood. That's something that we have to use every day, diagnosis or not. The ability to understand where people are coming from, it grows and develops throughout our lifetime. It's only while we are children, though, that we're so dependent on our caregivers for development of mentalizing because as children, it's difficult to think about the attachment relationship. Children don't have that awareness to reflect on the relationship and to adjust in problems and understanding. So if you're a parent out there, again, I want you to remember that children do not have the ability to understand this. Oftentimes, I feel like we put on our children this our emotions, our intensity, as if they could understand and they can't. So that's important to note as a, as a side note there. But over time, as an individual grows up and gets other references from social context, it becomes possible to see things from the outside and compare them with other experiences. While relationships generally help the development of mindsight throughout our lifespan, well, that doesn't always apply to people with borderline personality disorder because relationships don't work smoothly, right? And sometimes they're so stormy that it makes us think there's no hope. And that also doesn't help the need to feel secure. Sometimes there have been such intense feelings of being hurt, right, that it leads to withdrawing from relationships. And if you have an underdeveloped theory of mind or underdeveloped mindset, relationships are avoided. Well, why? Well, you guys know, right, they can be confusing and threatening even. And then we look at trauma. How does trauma impact that? It's really difficult to think about a relationship if it's characterized by violence and abuse. How can a person begin to understand why a person who should be treating them with care and love is behaving with complete disregard for their well-being? When the person who should be the source of comfort and safety is also the source of fear or distress, there's a state of conflict, of course. So the natural impulse to be close to one another as human beings, it's taken away by fear of punishment, hurt, shame. As a result of that, somebody might come to exaggerate or the opposite, quiet BPD, right? Inhibit the signals about their emotional state because they feel scared or insecure about what will happen if they ask for help or comfort from the person they are attached to. Attachment conflicts like this really prevent a child from being able to develop that that mindset or mentalizing abilities right from the start of their life, and it really takes a lot of time to work through that because it leaves behind emotional scars, for lack of a better word, right, and confusion. And those emotional scars and confusion disrupt everyday mentalizing. So the ability to really understand where other people are coming from, it's just broken. So early trauma can really undermine a child's ability to deal with relationships and conflicts later in life. So how do we develop mindset? Relationships. Oh, it's not surprising that we know that most people with BPD are not securely attached, right? I know um, my clients, they often come to me, they already know their attachment style, right? Because they know that attachment theory and not having a secure attachment is a missing link for them in terms of their ability to live a good life. The link between attachment and mentalizing is part of the individual, of, of how the individual develops BPD. 
It's also a large part of how people can move on to greater health if they can really find the roadmap out, right? So how do we do that? Well, a critical ingredient is to be in an environment where there is opening, open, inquiring interest in exploring mental states. So being in relationships with loved ones and caregivers where there's an openness to explore feelings, thoughts, attitudes, and motivations of other people. That is something that is very important. And it does take willingness on the part of the individual with BPD to also have that same fluid willingness to be vulnerable to allow others to explore their mental states. So as you can see, that development of mentalizing is impacted by our childhood relationships. It also impacts how we view the relationships that we have in later in life. So remember I said that the brain is a pattern-making machine, right? It creates templates so that it can predict what will happen. It's pretty cool, kind of, kind of like a computer. Based on the recurring patterns that happened in our early relationships, our brain begins to develop these patterns or models of how relationships appear to work. So those early relationship models serve as a foundation for later relationship patterns. These basic models actually govern how we experience relationships and also how we behave in relationships, which in turn impacts how people behave towards us, what we receive. And maybe this isn't surprising, but the results in relationships follow the pattern we expect, right? So our expectations are based on how relationships appear to work, which comes from our early childhood experiences. For example, if you expect others to treat you poorly, you will most likely keep them at a distance, right? That makes sense. This will in turn affect how they respond to you. In this case, it's likely that they might not include you in actions and decisions since you distance them. I mean, why would they? And then you feel mistreated. And then you end up experiencing relationships exactly as you expected them to be. But you don't really realize how you contributed to shaping the relationship to become that way. That's really important because this is key to understanding the roadblocks and recovery. Oftentimes people will say that they've had therapy, they've had treatment, they've had coaching, and yet there's still something missing. And it's this mindset I find is often the missing link. So let me read through this again. So if you expect others to mistreat you, you will most likely keep them at a distance. That impacts how they respond to you. So if you keep someone at a distance, they might not include you in actions and decisions. And then you'll say, well, you didn't include me in actions and decisions, but they didn't do that because you distanced them. Right. And then it reinforces that idea of like, well, see, everyone mistreats me. So when our internal models of relationships are lock us into these fixed outcomes, we don't realize how this is happening. And we can describe this by looking at controlling models of relationships, right? Controlling models of relationships. So controlling the outcome of a relationship. On the other hand, when we're aware of what we bring to our relationship and can hold our model in mind in a flexible manner, 
And we can allow that to adapt from moment to moment. We describe this as having a working model of relationships. So we have a controlling model of relationships versus a working model of relationships. So a working model is like a hypothesis. So it's a theory, but we, we let it stay a theory. So it's open to be changed by new experiences. So maybe through recovery, you learn that maybe you expect it to be criticized or punished, but you're open to receiving praise so that new experiences can shape the way your brain patterns relationships. So we're going to look at seven main relationship patterns that are experienced by people who have experienced emotional hurt in their childhood years this week. Because if you understand how you typically approach relationships, it can help you avoid being trapped by expectations that arise from old hurts. All right, so we're going to go over these this week. So number one, isolation. In this relationship pattern, the person maintains a distance from other people, preferring to do activities alone, keeping actions or interactions on a superficial level. However, I'm sure you guys know isolation can feel so depressing, lonely, and vulnerable. Okay, so here's pattern two is yearning. This relationship pattern arises from the need for safety and comfort that is triggered by mistreatment. The emotional hurt increases the need for attachment, resulting in longing for much-needed caring, closeness, and intimacy, as well as sacrificing one's own needs for others, caring way too much. Sacrificing one's own needs for others, caring way too much. The third that we'll talk about today is fearfulness. In this relationship pattern, closeness and intimacy is frightening. Based on what happened in close relationships in the past, distrust becomes pervasive and a range of fears dominate. Being injured, fear of being exploited, dominated, controlled, trapped, intruded upon, smothered, humiliated, betrayed, and abandoned. Those are all in that fearfulness relational pattern. Number four, dependency. Alternatively, when attachment needs are very strong, some people are driven to be in any relationship in order to have some affection, protection, nurturance, or intimacy. This can involve being in harmful relationships just to have some sort of need met some of the time. I consider this dependency as when people hoard people. They know the person isn't good for them, but yet they just want to be with anyone because some of the needs are met some of the time. But unfortunately, this perpetuates a feeling of being abused. As well, the fear of losing the relationship may result in feelings of being trapped or vulnerable or guilt overburdening a partner with intense needs. Victimization is the fifth pattern. People who have been hurt by abuse, neglect, or violence are in fact very real victims. Innocent targets of someone else's wrongdoing is how we're going to define that. Different from this is the attitude of seeing yourself as a victim. 
That is, whenever things go wrong in a relationship, the person sees themselves as a passive recipient where blame is always attributed to the others. This attitude is damaging because it erodes your belief about yourself and it also erodes your ability to become autonomous and independent and the result is simply learned helplessness. So if things are always done to me, I'm always a victim, right? Controlling pattern six. A troubling part of trauma, guys, is feeling so helpless and out of control. One way of never feeling this vulnerable again is to always be in control, which can make it difficult to comply, to follow instructions, defiance, right? Consequently, there are often power struggles and things to have, things have to be my way or the highway. If you guys have been listening to this podcast for long enough, I think maybe you could categorize my journey for the most part in this category, my way or the highway, which could give a false sense of safety, but it results in more losses. Okay, pattern seven is aggression. And in this final relationship pattern that we're going to talk about today, a person follows this guideline. The best defense is a good offense. So that thought of, I will never be abused again, so I'm going to attack you first. Being angry, threatening, and creating emotional distance. It brings feelings of power and control, which really takes away the feelings of being vulnerable, which is scary, especially when abused. But what happens? Aggression begets aggression. So you're going to be met with aggression if you're aggressive. That's how that works. And that results in the confirmation in your mind, well, no one can be trusted, right? Because I was aggressive, they were aggressive. And at its most extreme, the anger and aggression is actually targeted at people who are vulnerable, facing the reality of one's abusive past. And it prevents such repetitions. So those are the seven negative relational models. And just, are those, just as those are learned in relationships, so are nurturing models. Again, negative relationship models, learned in nurturing models. I do want to say that if you can kind of categorize yourself a little bit in each of these, that is okay. That is okay. The idea is that you want to be, be aware of these negative relationship models because, right, like we said, the brain is patterning those. So we have to stop that pattern, and we do that through awareness, right? Abusive relationships set up a vicious cycle. The more you're mistreated, the more you feel devalued, the more mistreatment you tolerate, and the more you feel you deserve. But I want you to remember that nurturing models are also learned, so healthy relationships can turn the tide. That's what happened with Jay and I. It created a benign cycle. So the more he treated me with kindness and respect, the more I felt confident and worthy, and the more I asserted my needs and was treated accordingly. So there's two models. So I want to repeat that for new people experiencing this new learning. And also I heard the dogs barking in the background. <laughs> okay. So abusive relationships set up a vicious cycle. The more you're mistreated, the more you feel devalued, and the more mistreatment you tolerate and feel that you deserve. 
Healthy relationships turn the tide. The more you're treated with kindness and respect, the more you feel confident and worthy, and the more you'll assert your needs and be treated accordingly. To learn new relationship models, guys, you need to find good teachers, find coaches, people who are kind and trustworthy and reliable. Because honestly, the possibilities for healthy relationships are literally endless. They are endless. A lot of the people that you've heard with recovery stories on the podcast and my story, the way that I love to coach others is I just want to be kind, trustworthy, and reliable. I at least want to strive to do that as best I can so that the people that I work with can experience what I experienced when I was in my relationship with Jay, which is that kindness and respect helped me feel confident and worthy, and I deserve that. You guys are kind, you're worthy of love, you're brave, you got this. So developing healthy relationships across different levels of closeness, it builds new patterns for relating. And over time, those new patterns will gradually replace defensive patterns for social context, friendships romantic relationships, familiar relationships, work and school relationships, relationships with professionals, all relationships. So how do you start? Well, you have to understand this and be willing to open your mind to find someone you trust, who's reliable, who's kind, that you will allow to help with your mental state so you can develop mindset. So remember, we have a group coming up. If you're still interested in group, please reply back if, you, if I've reached out to you so that we can finalize things or pop on over to the website and fill out a form so that I can, can contact you guys. Also, for your work this week, you want to look at a, uh, examples of a relationship style, what are some of those styles, and then look at what are some difficult topics for you to talk about and you know, if you need to reach out for individual coaching, Jay and I would love to support you. We both do national and international mindset coaching. You can go over to the website. It's www.skeetersstrength.com. That's S-K-E-E-T-E-R-S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H.com. And my scheduling calendar is right up on there. Once you book a session with me, we'll, you'll get a confirmation email. And if you want to schedule with Jay, you can send him an email. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Send in those questions, and I'll see you next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. for listening that was from borderline the beautiful a production of skeeter's strength mindset coaching systems we help frustrated individuals resentful couples and disconnected families navigate through tough times visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com if you like this show remember you can hear it on anchor or apple Podcasts or pocket cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts subscribe to get a new episode every monday if you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for 
from borderline to beautiful and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful. Hope and help for individuals with BPD.